Section 17 of the Journal of Lewis and Clark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Journal of Lewis and Clark by Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Chapter 15. Statistical View. Grand Osage. They claim the country within the following limits, viz., commencing at the mouth of a south branch of the Osage River, called Nugua, and with the same to its source, thence southwardly to intersect the Arkansas, about one hundred miles below the three forks of that river, thence up the principal branch of the same, to the confluence of a large northwardly branch of the same, lying a considerable distance west of the Great Saline, and with that stream nearly to its source, thence northwardly towards the Kansas River, embracing the waters of the upper portion of the Osage River, and thence obliquely approaching the same to the beginning. The climate is delightful, and the soil fertile in the extreme. The face of the country is generally level, and well watered. The eastern part of the country is covered with a variety of excellent timber. The western and middle country, high prairies. It embraces within its limits four salines, which are, in point of magnitude and excellence, unequalled by any known in North America. There are also many others of less note. The principal part of the great Osage have always resided at their villages on the Osage River, since they have been known to the inhabitants of Louisiana. About three years since, nearly one half of this nation, headed by their chief the Big Track, immigrated to the three forks of the Arkansas, near which, and on its north side, they established a village, where they now reside. The little Osage formerly resided on the southwest side of the Missouri, near the mouth of Grand River, but being reduced by continual warfare with their neighbors, were compelled to seek the protection of the great Osage, near whom they now reside. Kansas. The limits of the country they claim is not known. The country in which they reside, and from thence to the Missouri, is a delightful one, and generally well watered, and covered with excellent timber. They hunt to the upper part of Kansas and Arkansas rivers. Their trade may be expected to increase with proper management. At present they are a dissolute, lawless banditti, frequently plunder their traders and commit depredations on persons ascending and descending the Missouri River, population rather increasing. The people, as well as the great and little Osages, are stationary at their villages from about the 15th of March to the 15th of May, and again from the 15th of August to the 15th of October. The balance of the year is appropriated to hunting. They cultivate corn, etc. Autos. They have no idea of an exclusive possession of any country, nor do they assign themselves any limits. I do not believe that they would object to the introduction of any well-disposed Indians. They treat the traders with respect and hospitality, generally. In their occupations of hunting and cultivation, they are the same with the Kansas and Osage. They hunt on the Saline and Nimaha rivers, and west of them in the plains. The country in which they hunt lies well. It is extremely fertile and well watered. That part of it which borders on Nimaha and Missouri possesses a good portion of timber, population rather increasing. They have always resided near the place their village is situated, and are the descendants of the Missouris. Missouris. These are the remnant of the most numerous nation inhabiting the Missouri, when first known to the French. Their ancient and principal village was situated in an extensive and fertile plain, 
on the north bank of the Missouri, just below the entrance of the Grand River. Repeated attacks of the smallpox, together with their war with the Saukies and Renards, has reduced them to their present state of dependence on the autos, with whom they reside, as well in their village as on their hunting excursions. The autos view them as their inferiors, and sometimes treat them amiss. These people are the real proprietors of an extensive and fertile country lying on the Missouri, above their ancient village for a considerable distance, and as low as the mouth of the Osage River, and thence to the Mississippi. Panias. With respect to their idea of the possession of soil, it is similar to that of the autos. They hunt on the south side of the river Platte, higher up, and on the head of the Kansas. A great proportion of this country is open plains, interspersed, however, with groves of timber, which are most generally found in the vicinity of the water-courses. It is generally fertile and well-watered, lies level and free of stone. They have resided in the country which they now inhabit, since they were known to the whites. Their trade is a valuable one, from the large proportion of beaver and otter which they furnish, and it may be expected yet to increase, as those animals are still abundant in their country. The periods of their residence at their village and hunting are similar to the Kansas and Osages. Their population is increasing. They are friendly and hospitable to all white persons, pay great respect and deference to their traders, with whom they are punctual in their payment of their debts. Paneas Republicans are a branch of the Panea proper, or, as they are frequently termed, the Big Paunch. About ten years since they withdrew themselves from the mother nation, and established a village on a large northwardly branch of the Kansas, to which they have given name. They afterwards subdivided and lived in different parts of the country on the waters of Kansas. They rejoined the Paneas proper last spring. What has been said with respect to the Paneas proper is applicable on the Republican River, which is better stocked with timber than that hunted by the Paneas. Paneas loops or wolves. These are also a branch of the Paneas proper, who separated themselves from that nation many years since, and established themselves on a north branch of the river Platte, to which their name was also given. These people have likewise no idea of an exclusive right to any portion of that country. They hunt on the Wolf River above their village, and on the river Platte above the mouth of that river. This country is very similar to that of the river Paneas proper, though there is an extensive body of fertile, well-timbered land between the Wolf River, below their village, and the river Corn de Cerf, or Elkhorn River. They cultivate corn, beans, etc. The particulars related of the other Paneas are also applicable to them. Mahas They have no idea of exclusive possession of soil. About ten years since, they boasted of seven hundred warriors. They have lived in a village on the west bank of the Missouri, two hundred and thirty-six miles above the mouth of the river Platte, where they cultivated corn, beans, and melons. They were warlike, and the terror of their neighbors. In the summer and autumn of 1802, they were visited by the smallpox, which reduced their numbers to something less than three hundred. They burnt their village, and have become a wandering nation, deserted by the traders, and the consequent deficiency of arms and ammunition has invited frequent aggressions from their neighbors, which have tended to reduce them still further. They rove principally on the waters of the river Kinkur, or Rapid River. Pond cars. The remnant of a nation once respectable in point of numbers. 
They formerly resided on a branch of the Red River of Lake Winnipeg. Being oppressed by the Sioux, they removed to the west side of the Missouri, on Pancar River, where they built and fortified a village, and remained some years. But being pursued by their ancient enemies, the Sioux, and reduced by continual wars, they have joined and now reside with the Mahas, whose language they speak. Ricars are the remains of ten large tribes of Peneus, who have been reduced by the smallpox and the Sioux to the present number. They live in fortified villages, and hunt immediately in their neighborhood. The country around them, in every direction for several hundred miles, is entirely bare of timber, except on the watercourses and steep declivities of hills, where it is sheltered from the ravages of fire. The land is tolerably well watered, and lies well for cultivation. The remains of the villages of these people are to be seen on many parts of the Missouri, from the mouth of the Tetone River to the Mandans. They claim no land except that on which their villages stand, and the fields which they cultivate. The Tetons claim the country around them. They are the oldest inhabitants, and may properly be called the farmers or tenants at will of that lawless, savage, and rapacious race, the Sioux Teton, who rob them of their horses, plunder their gardens and fields, and sometimes murder them without opposition. If these people were freed from the oppression of the Tetons, their trade would increase, rapidly, and might be extended to a considerable amount. They maintain a partial trade with their oppressors, the Tetons, to whom they barter horses, mules, corn, beans, and a species of tobacco, which they cultivate, and receive in return guns, ammunition, kettles, axes, and other articles which the Tetons obtain from the Yanktrons of the north, and the Sisitones, who trade with Mr. Cameron on the river St. Peter's. These horses and mules the Ricaras obtain from their western neighbors, who visit them frequently for the purpose of trafficking. Mandans. These are the most friendly, well-disposed Indians inhabiting the Missouri. They are brave, humane, and hospitable. About twenty-five years since they lived in six villages, about forty miles below their present villages, on both sides of the Missouri. Repeated visitations of the smallpox, aided by frequent attacks of the Sioux, have reduced them to their present number. They claim no particular tract of country. They live in fortified villages, hunt immediately in their neighborhood, and cultivate corn, beans, squashes, and tobacco, which form the articles of traffic with their neighbors, the Assiniboines. They also barter horses with the Assiniboines for arms, ammunition, axes, kettles, and other articles of European manufacture, which these last obtain from the British establishments on the Assiniboine River. The articles which they thus obtain from the Assiniboines, and the British traders who visit them, they again exchange for horses and leather tents with the Crow Indians, Cheyennes, Wetapahatos, Kiowas, Kananavia, Stapton, and Kataka, who visit them occasionally for the purpose of traffic. Awahawe. They differ but very little, in any particular, from the Mandans, their neighbors, except in the unjust war which they, as well as the Minotaurs, prosecute against the defenseless snake Indians, from which I believe it will be difficult to induce them to desist. They claim to have once been a part of the Crow Indians, whom they still acknowledge as relations. They have resided on the Missouri as long as their tradition will enable them to inform. Minotares. They claim no particular country, nor do they assign themselves any limits. Their tradition relates that they have always resided at their present villages. 
In their customs, manners, and dispositions they are similar to the Mandans and Awahaways. The scarcity of fuel induces them to reside, during the cold season, in large bands, in camps, on different parts of the Missouri, as high up that river as the mouth of the river Yellowstone, and west of their villages, about the Turtle Mountain. I believe that these people, as well as the Mandans and Awahaways, might be prevailed on to remove to the mouth of Yellowstone River, provided an establishment is made at that place. They have as yet furnished scarcely any beaver, though the country they hunt abounds with them. The lodges of these animals are to be seen within a mile of their villages. These people have also suffered considerably by the smallpox, but have successfully resisted the attack of the Sioux. Sockies and Renards, or Foxes these nations are so perfectly consolidated that they may, in fact, be considered as one nation only. They speak the same language. They formerly resided on the east side of the Mississippi, and still claim the land on that side of the river, from the mouth of the Wisconsin to the Illinois River, and eastward toward Lake Michigan, but to what particular boundary I am not informed. They also claim by conquest the whole of the country belonging to the ancient Missouris, which forms one of the most valuable portions of Louisiana, but what proportion of this territory they are willing to assign to the Ayues, who also claim a part of it, I do not know, as they are at war with the Sioux, who live north and northwest of them, except the Yankton Anne. Their boundaries in that quarter are also undefined. Their trade would become much more valuable if peace was established between them and the nations west of the Missouri, with whom they are at war. The population has remained nearly the same for many years. They raise an abundance of corn, beans, and melons. They sometimes hunt in the country west of them, towards the Missouri, but their principal hunting is on both sides of the Mississippi, from the mouth of the Wisconsin to the mouth of the Illinois River. These people are extremely friendly to the whites, and seldom injure their traders, but they are most implacable enemies to the Indian nations with whom they are at war. To them is justly attributable the almost entire destruction of the Missouris, the Illinois, Cahokias, Cascassias, and Peorias. Wapatone Claim the country in which they rove on the northwest side of the river St. Peter's, from their village to the mouth of the Chippeway River, and thence northeastwardly towards the head of the Mississippi, including the Crowing River. Their lands are fertile and generally well timbered. They are only stationary while their traders are with them, which is from the beginning of October to the last of March. Their trade is supposed to be at its greatest extent. They treat their traders with respect, and seldom attempt to rob them. This, as well as other Sioux bands, acts in all respects, independently of each other, as if they were a distinct nation. Mendawar Carton This is the only band of Sioux that cultivates corn, beans, etc., and these even cannot properly be turned to stationary people. They live in tents of dressed leather, which they transport by means of horses and dogs, and ramble from place to place during the greater part of the year. They are friendly to their traders, but the inveterate enemies to such as supply their enemies, the Chippeways, with merchandise. They also claim the country in which they hunt, commencing at the entrance of the river St. Peter's, and extending upwards on both sides of the Mississippi, to the mouth of the Crow River. Wapakuta. They rove in the country southwest of the river St. Peter's, from a place called the Harwood to the mouth of Yellow Medicine River, never stationary, but when their traders are with them, and this does not happen at any regular or fixed point. 
At present they treat traders tolerably well. Their trade cannot be expected to increase much. Sisatone. They claim the country in which they rove, embracing the upper portion of Red River, of Lake Winnipeg, and St. Peter's. It is a level country, intersected with many small lakes. The land is fertile and free of stone, the majority of it open plains. This country abounds more in valuable fur animals, beaver, otter, and marten, than any portion of Louisiana yet known. This circumstance furnishes the Sisatones with the means of purchasing more merchandise, in proportion to their number, than any nation in this quarter. A great proportion of this merchandise is reserved by them for their trade with the Tetons, whom they annually meet at some point previously agreed on, upon the waters of the James River, in the month of May. This Indian fair is frequently attended by the Yanktons of the North and Anna. Yanktons of the North. This band, although they purchase a smaller quantity of merchandise than the Sisatones, still appropriate a considerable portion of what they do obtain in a similar manner with that mentioned of the Sisatones. This trade, as small as it may appear, has been sufficient to render the Tetons independent of the trade of the Missouri, in a great measure, and has furnished them with the means, not only of distressing and plundering the traders of the Missouri, but also of plundering and massacring the defenseless savages of the Missouri, from the mouth of the River Platte to the Minotaures, and west to the Rocky Mountains. Yankton's Anna These are the best-disposed Sioux who rove on the banks of the Missouri, and these even will not suffer any trader to ascend the river, if they can possibly avoid it. They have heretofore invariably arrested the progress of all those they have met with, and generally compelled them to trade at the prices, nearly, which they themselves think proper to fix on their merchandise. They seldom commit any further acts of violence on the whites. They sometimes visit the river Des Moines, where a partial trade has been carried on with them, for a few years past, by a Mr. Crawford. Their trade, if well regulated, might be extremely valuable. End of section 17